Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block with Ed, Jody and Steve. This show is being recorded live and will be available within a few hours as a podcast, which can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for the Liberty Block. We invite anyone listening to this podcast to join us live on Zoom or by phone and share your thoughts on the issues that we discuss. Today, we're also joined by Elliot and Mike. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. Hola. Hi, everybody. Huh. Where to start with the incredible news cycle that we're on? Um, it's mostly know. peaceful. Yeah. I just meant, <laughs> what did you say about peaceful? It's mostly peaceful. It is mostly peaceful. That was the first comment I wanted to make because, you know, I'm kind of hung up with the media. So they're covering these mostly peaceful demonstrations in Philadelphia and apparently in New York City also, they're having mostly peaceful, peaceful demonstrations. Of course, like I say, 9-11 was a mostly quiet day. Um, and the only thing else I wanted to mention before I turn it over to everybody else, I mean, the obvious stuff, what's going on with the media and today's hearings in the Senate about Google and Twitter, et cetera. I don't know if anybody here has listened to them and I'm sure most of you have seen Ted Cruz go off. Outstanding. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I just did want to mention, there's a story out of Scotland, which I hope to God is never coming here. They're trying to pass a bill. And again, I don't know if it's one person or a whole bunch of people to prosecute people for hate speech, even when they're in their houses. Now, again, we talked about telescreens many, many times. And we talked about the idea that 1984 prequel was we invited telescreens into our homes. Only we call them smartphones and mm -hmm. webcams. But hopefully we're never going down that road. Um, and obviously we all know that the uh, major networks and pretty much all the news outlets are not sharing Tucker Carlson's unbelievable and much talked about interview last night with uh, Mr. Babulinski. So having said all that, I usually give Jody the first shot. I'm good with that. Go. So that's, this is just crazy talk, isn't it? You know, and I want to add in there, one of the things shared earlier was Michigan State University wants to ban the words foreign and alien as hate speech. And the thing is, who defines hate speech? And as we watch what happen, is happening in our media, they're going to say hate speech is whoever's in power, and obviously it's liberals, they're going to say hate speech is whatever they disagree with and don't like. And darn near, you could say, kill Donald Trump. You could say, I mean, you could say the most horrifying things um, from the left. And of course it would be completely ignored. It's like I've said before, we, you, I used to believe that we were an evolved species and that we had some sort of um, intellectual command of evolution, evolution and we were enlightened. And more and more and more I see that is so far from true. Well, I think on a political level, it's obvious that American, in American history, we've always viewed the First Amendment as saying that the answer to bad speech or false speech is more speech. And the, the social media companies and the, the leftist politicians that are defending them are standing in opposition to that cultural value or that political value. Um, 
they're not, their solution is not to have more speech. Their solution is to have less speech and to make them the gatekeepers of information. Um, but I think the political point, while important, is not as important as the cultural point. As a culture, we have always believed in the free and robust dissemination of information. And a people that believes in the free and robust dissemination of information is not ever gonna tolerate censorship from the government. And on the other hand, a people that culturally becomes accustomed to having speech suppressed, even in a private setting, is, is a people that is becoming accustomed to censorship. The, the cultural value of free and robust dissemination of information is being eroded. And once that cultural value is eroded, the politics is gonna change because politics, politics follows culture. And when the culture no longer favors the free flow of information, our political leaders are gonna follow that culture and they're gonna impose more and more draconian bans. And that's really the, the issue that's going on right now. Uh, there's a lot of people, especially within the liberty movement that are hung up on whether these are private companies and whether private companies can engage in censorship. I, I just, I, I intentionally try not to use the word censorship when it comes to them because censorship generally is something that's the province of government, but they can suppress information. And as we talked about, I think last week's show, you know, when I'm in my house, I can suppress information. You know, in my house, I make the rules and I get it in a private company, they get to make the rules. But uh, just because a fascist has the freedom to advocate fascism doesn't mean that we should focus entirely on his right to advocate without ever saying any word of condemnation about what he's advocating. And in this instance, these, these social media companies are using their freedoms and liberties to advocate for the destruction of everybody else's liberties. Both I think you're making a really good level. point, Ed, which I really want to emphasize. You're saying they're basically accustoming us, acclimating us to being yep. used to being shut down. And I think that's a fantastic point that I don't know if you've made before, or maybe I just didn't hear it when you made it before. So that, I've heard point. it from him a couple of times. Oh, that's an excellent point. Mike. Listen, po politics is downstream from culture. So I think Ed is hitting the nail on the, on the head with but, that. I think just like, well, you know, we'll have our uh, truth, truth and reconciliation camps to go to. So no worries. The Did meme out there with keep wearing masks. I think that's part of our problem is, you know, there were a lot of things we weren't used to before TSA. And we've been accustomed to take that like sheep. And I, that's why I like what Ed is saying about this. The more we get accustomed to tolerate any of this stuff, the easier it is for us to lay back and tolerate more, which is why I'm really, really scared if we've gone too far. I was going to mention the AP story. Um, this is just amazing how the press does it. The CEOs of Twitter, Facebook, and Google are set to be grilled by Republican senators making unfounded allegations that the tech giants show anti-conservative bias, even when they report it. <laughs> <laughs> the wording is just unbelievable. And again, since a large percentage of this country only hears that side and only reads that side, we're always behind the eight ball. Now, Ed has commented many times, and I think he's got a great point, that we're not trying to get people on the left to switch. We're trying to get our base out for the elections. So it doesn't matter so much that it's suppressed for the left. 
but it's it's just unbelievable how the media is controlling everything we think. There's, there's just no information out there. Well, of course, they're not really the media anymore. They're an arm of the Democratic Party. And I think it's gone mm -hmm. on just pure bias at this point. This is active propaganda. When they start saying that things are Russian information, uh, disinformation, when we know we have the laptop, we know what the facts are. Again, it's, to me, it's beyond just a left-wing perspective. I think it's act activist propaganda. Okay, since you're bringing up the disinformation, um, a lot of people are asking me that gentleman Bobulinski that was on Tucker. Um, we want to believe that he's this incredibly upstanding ex-Navy lieutenant, et cetera, et cetera. Why was he involved with the Bidens? Does anybody know? Well, he was involved because they approached him about business deals. And I don't think that he knew beforehand what the deals were about. And based on the interview he had with Tucker last night, it sounded like he's tr he was trying to keep the deals on the up and up, that he was insisting on uh, complying with corporate formalities. My issue with him though, is, is not that he was willing to do deals with the Bidens. My issue is that this guy has known for a long time, for a couple of years now, of the level of corruption that's involved. He's known all during this campaign for the last, what are we, we're now in October and Biden got the nomination by March. So what, for the last seven months, he's known that the Democrat nominee has been lying about whether he knows, knows anything about Hunter Biden's business dealings and whether or not he had any role and be or benefited from uh, the use of the Biden name by Hunter Biden in his dealings with Ukraine and China and Kazakhstan. Uh, and he didn't say anything about it. It didn't become an issue to him until Adam Schiff dared to call him a Russian, a Russian asset or Russia, part of Russian disinformation program. So I, I believe everything that he said, I, this is not to undermine his credibility, but when he, when he kept saying that he was a patriot last night, all I kept thinking to myself was, if you're a patriot, why the hell are you waiting until now? Why are you waiting until you have been personally attacked to reveal this information? Shouldn't a patriot have revealed this to the American people months ago and let everybody else know yeah. what a corrupt family this is? And he what may have been I, afraid the Bidens thought, would, would kill him if he did maybe, come out. No, maybe earlier. he thought that if he was good at hiding all this, they'd make him the next director of the FBI. Wait, so can we back up? Because if they were calling him these things, I mean, this information was already out there, right? The, hence them calling, Schiff calling him these things. So the information was already in motion, right? How was he getting, how was he getting tagged in the media that way? Well, Schiff, the, the Rudy Giuliani was dis, disseminating the hard drive from the laptop that the computer store owner gave him, I think in July. Um, parenthetically, why did Rudy wait so long? Why did the Trump team wait so long? Right. That's something that really bugs me. Um, I think that it was based on a calculated decision that revealing it in October would be more, more uh, beneficial to their campaign. And that may or may not be true. I, I tend to disagree with it, but even if it's right, I don't think that putting your own campaign ahead of what's best for the American people is a particularly good thing. Um, I'm not willing to condemn Trump for it. I'm still gonna vote for him and I still support him, but I, I don't think that that was a good thing. Um, but yes, this was, in, this was certainly uh, 
these, this information was available and out there, but it didn't become a personal issue to Bobby Linsky until Adam Schiff said, this is a Russian disinformation campaign and that the person who's disseminating it, namely Bobby Linsky. But uh, I'm just saying in his defense, and I'm not, you know, I find it problematic as well, but in his defense, maybe he thought the fact that it was already in motion and moving in that direction, he wouldn't need to step forward, that the facts already out there were going to get that job done. But why would that be a defense for a patriot? I mean, a patriot would stand up and, and do his job and do his True, but patriots are also afraid that Biden, one of the most powerful men in the world, who is going to be the next president as well, will put him in a grave pretty quickly if you uh, commit suicide. Once it was all put out there and he was attacked and his family was attacked for being a a Russian disinformation crap, then he defended himself a little bit. But it's still a good concern. It's a valid concern. Here's my biggest concern. And I think the biggest question we have to ask, the FBI knew about all the information on the laptop and all of this stuff, all the corruption for how many months or years? They did nothing. Crazy. Unbelievable. Well, they knew it, they the knew it during the, highest... the entire impeachment proceeding. That's to yeah. me, that's beyond, Criminal. beyond unforgivable. And, and we can't get over it and we can't let them get away with it. And again, this is my own personal evolution. If you want to know about my story from typical moderate to conservative to libertarian to full on voluntarist, I don't even trust the FBI anymore. I used to trust all police and all government agents and all politicians and FBI, especially. But now I don't trust politicians. I don't, don't even trust the FBI. But you know what? I feel like a lot of the U.S., a lot of voters are making this transition and this growth evolution with me. Most people don't trust the FBI anymore. Who in the U.S. trusts Comey and Page and um, all the other Christopher uh, Mueller and all the other uh, Ray. Chris Ray? No one in the U.S. trusts all, all of those guys, right? Because all of them have screwed Republicans, Democrats, and everyone else because they're all self-serving, corrupt pieces of crap. So what's so interesting is that the FBI, the ultimate, most high integrity, amazing law enforcement, pro-justice people in the world have been exposed as the pieces of crap they are because they're corrupt a-holes and we can't trust them anymore. So I think it's great that now they've lost the trust of the American people, but where do we go from here? Well, it's also kind of sad. Forget them losing the trust. I think even those of us who have been unbelievably patient with Barr and Durham, more and more people from the conservative world that totally support everybody in the administration are fed up, absolutely fed up with Barr and Durham. And that, that makes it even worse that when the FBI investigates something against the left side, investigate is just a euphemism for Barry. And that's unbelievably disappointing. But Agreed. Mm-hmm. And they won't be punished. People like as high as Comey or Biden or Clinton, they don't go to jail. So Impossible. did anybody see the article? I, I shared the article before um, with some of you. I can't remember who wrote it, comparing this to Watergate and reminding us that in Watergate, 40 people were sent to jail. And yeah. I think we forget, including like the attorney general and the chief of staff. I mean, major, major people went to jail. And here, except for that Kleinsmith guy, no one's been indicted and it's four years. And some of us are wondering, does it really take this long? So, and why are we ruling out taking this all the way to the top? I, again, I think it's bothering a lot of people on the right. Will it pull everybody on the right to vote? Hopefully it will. Will it convince anybody on the left? Again, probably not, but. Yeah, but you know, can I just say something, about, <coughs> excuse me about that. The difference between Watergate and this is Watergate was reported the goings on and the happenings were reported to the American people, right? Compared to today. Well, so people pushed on us by the press. Yes. 
Yes, today it's, it's the very opposite. So, so American people aren't going to be calling and demanding for the kinds of things they might have during Watergate or political might not have been the polit or there was the political pressure then to do it because the demands of the American people. Whereas now there's no demands of the American people because by and large the American people don't even know details about so many important things. This being one of them, there there's no reason for them to get angry and demand of politicians. So politicians can shrug their shoulders and say, eh, move on. Let me just say one thing. One second. I got to say one thing. Anybody who listens to this podcast, which includes all the intelligent people, have heard Ed. And Ed's trying to get the president and everybody else to make noise about this. So if they were listening to Ed, we would not be having this problem. Well, and not only that, I mean, I didn't listen to Rush Limbaugh today, but... I guarantee you Rush Limbaugh talked about this. I know he tweeted about Tucker's interview. Rush Limbaugh has an audience of over 20 million people. Mark Levin has a large audience. Tucker has a large audience. People know about this. The, the mainstream media is doing its best to suppress the story, but enough people know about this. It's not hidden anymore. It's, it, it's just not an excuse. I don't know. I mean, how many listen to time. Rush Limbaugh? I, the avenue to it, and that juxtapose that, okay, it's being spoken by the choir, juxtapose that it's not just being buried by the bulk of media, ABC News, CBS, NBC, MSNBC, CNN. It's not just, they are actively telling people it's not true. So well, you know what, Jody? Jody, the way to deal with that, if that's really a problem, how about if Barr perp walks a bunch of these people, there's no way that the media is gonna avoid reporting on that. And if it's, if it's really that big of a problem. I, will, I think they'll after. try and spin it. Barr Even doesn't have the balls that, to do that, but yeah. Even if he did it. that, the media would spin it as, this is Trump being a dictator. Trump's pulling these levers. He's, you know he's taking these in innocent charge. people to prison. Trump and Barr are in charge. They get to control what comes out. They get to control what the evidence is going to be disclosed. But, but going back to culture and this is where the culture part is controlling the political levers. So if the culture, meaning the bulk of our media can, can, you know, okay, he's, he's taking, they're, they're perp walking these people. And these people are victims of the Trump administration and these corrupt politicians and FBI and blah, blah, blah. I'm just saying. Jody, I hear you. It's a great point. It would be great if Barr perp walked anyone, especially these corrupt people. But number one, Barr does not have the backbone to do it. Not in a million years. He just doesn't. Um, he does a lot of good and a lot of bad, but I don't think he's ever going to do that. Number two, like Ed said, they would spin it. They would say, they would say um, the Republicans are, you know, using the power to yeah. imprison, you know, the opposition, just like Hitler and Stalin. Um, but yeah, the, the point. Totally. Yeah, the, the point I wanted to make they're ready, earlier. They're preemptively that? upset that there's this rumor that the first thing Trump's going to do if reelected is get rid of Barr. And Ray and uh, what's his name? The sec def, I forget his name. Pompeo, not Pompeo. Pompeo's uh, state. Oh, Secretary of State. Um, whatever, whatever he is, but sec def. So, and they're already trying to preempt that in the sense of you know it's going to be another Saturday night massacre by Nixon or something. But I, I agree. And listen, we're calling on Barr for a long time to do anything. And again, the elections in a couple of days, and I think it's over. I think we're past that. And nothing he does now, I think, can make up for that, unfortunately. Well, it may not impact the election, but at least he can do something. I mean, 
that's one of the things Trump has taught everybody, especially the Republicans. Sitting back and whining about it doesn't solve the problem. Taking action and doing something is how you solve the problem. Put the enemy on defense. Make the enemy respond. Stop leaving the initiative to the enemy and let them, you know, stop letting them be the actors and we have to respond. Oh, look, media, you should report this. Media, you should do this. Twitter, you should let us report this. No, we should be the ones on the aggressive on the offensive, we should be the ones taking action. Let them respond. Let them be the ones whining and moaning that things aren't going their way. Does our guest want to say anything, Mike? Putting me on the spot a little bit. Uh, no, I, I, I agree with what Ed is say, saying. And I think Trump has, uh, has said it pretty explicitly. The Republicans don't know how to fight. And that's one thing I, ha I have to say I love about Trump is he fights. I don't like all the things he says and does, but he's willing to to fight. I wish he would go a little further when it comes to some of these investigations. At times he said something, but again, as, as people on the right and, and we're seeing some of the wrongdoing on the left, it just seems like they get away with it time and time again. I mean, I sit here and I say, I believe it when I see it. And, and given all the information that we know about Comey and the FBI and the dossier and everything that was a, a total hoax, you know, an effort to, to overthrow Trump in the election. I mean, we a lot of these facts and nothing's happened so you know we're sitting here flummoxed frustrated and uh, you know we want to see something done we want to see people held accountable it just isn't happening and this is not even mentioning the not family friendly picture supposedly on hunter's laptop and that whole issue and again, like I wanted to answer to Jody when she said, if we all put the pressure on them, they'll lock them up. They're not. How many hundreds of thousands or millions of people chanted, lock her up about Hillary Clinton for being a criminal and committing treason to the US, and yet she's not in jail? I said, I said years ago, there's zero chance she's going to go to prison. Again, she can walk down Main Street and shoot a million people and then sell out the entire US Pentagon to Putin and Soleimani and the CCP. And still she won't go to prison. The deep state will protect them. I don't know if it's Comey or the CIA. I don't know enough, but I know enough to know that the deep state has control. And guys like Clinton, Biden, they cannot go to prison, even Comey. They can't go to prison for whatever reason, whether they have blackmail and leverage or if it's the deep state protecting them, but they, they can't go to prison. So. That's why I don't waste a lot of time chanting "lock her up." Um, I know a lot of conservatives. Part of the same time club. That. I don't waste time with that. It's never going to happen. And I got to tell you something funny. Um, I'm not sure if it's a good thing or not, but Israel has locked up its past president, its past prime minister, many, many government ministers, and Netanyahu right now is on trial under an indictment. And part of me thinks that's a little ridiculous, and part of me thinks we have to stop shying away from actually jailing people who do incredibly, incredibly corrupt things. You and I are afraid of prison. Why should politicians be immune to having to fear anything in their lives? Think about it. Biden has never feared anything in his life and never has to and never will fear anything ever. Why, I'm afraid of things. I'm afraid of going to prison if I drive over 40 miles per hour in my own town. I'm afraid of touching my phone while driving and being pulled over and thrown in jail. I'm afraid of plenty of things of, regarding the law. People like Biden and Clinton live with impunity and without any fear because they know they have no repercussions well, for yeah, any, any client we've kind of shown them that for many, many years. So, so you know what, I, I want to reiterate and expand a little bit on the concept. So let's just say there's millions of people in 2016 or whatever, screaming, lock her up. I think that is vastly different if it were within a culture where the media is reporting this regularly talking to these people who are saying lock her up. Instead, the me when 
I'm just saying from, from the political perspective, if you're a politician, it's markedly different. You could like, there's, there's, there flies on a, on a shoe. They're, you know, okay, it's millions of people, but you know, the media is not going to report on it a lot. Uh, the media is not going to push that uh, energy forward. So you can just kind of quell it. If it were different and there were millions of people saying lock her up and the media was fully on board talking about it, reporting it, you know, saying it needs to be done and fueling that energy, it would be totally different than what I see right now is our media is so in bed with Democrats. Democrats can literally kill people and no, they don't have to worry about anything. They can lie I so profoundly and the media will cheer their lie and in bulk. And you have to go beyond that media to educate yourself. And the vast majority of people, okay, I don't know if it's the vast majority of people, but I certainly used to be one of them, are capturing their opinions from the fluff on the top. They're not even going outside the mainstream often to capture this alternative narratives. I, Jody, I think it's clear that the media will lie and cover for the Democrats, but that's not why the Democrats feel so uninhibited. They feel uninhibited because they know the Republicans won't go after them. And that's the real issue. If the Republicans start going after them, if the Republicans start making arrests, start presenting evidence and going after going for trial, you know, going for indictments and trials, that would be the one, that would be how you get past that. It, we're not going to convince the media to stop being biased, nor sh really should we. They're entitled to their opinion. It's our job to fight. And when we have to do, you know, when you say we have to do something, we have to go beyond the media. Exactly right. The tool we have is the rule of law. These people are clear crooks and we should go after them. We should prosecute them and let the chips fall where they may. If they want to say that this is a, you know, politically motivated lawsuit, a politically motivated criminal prosecution, let them make that defense and we'll present all the evidence that we have and show that it's not politically motivated. And that's, that's the way to deal with it. I mean, you got to confront things head on. Being, being, un, being afraid to confront them head on plays into the exact uh, advantage that the Democrats have right now because they know we're afraid. We won't take them on and we have to take them on and we have to be willing to, to risk losing rather than just preemptively lose by saying, well, we just can't go after them. Okay, I can't remember who it is, but somebody relatively prominent among the conservative punditry has said under no circumstances should we allow Lindsey Graham to win his election next week because Lindsey Graham must be punished for doing absolutely nothing in four years despite having promised 50 times, we're gonna hold hearings, we're gonna hold him accountable and do nothing. Mm -hmm. However, if Lindsey Graham loses his seat, we lose a tremendous power center, yeah. a senior member of the Senate who's supposedly on our side. We're kind of powerless to punish these people. I wish we could get rid of Lindsey Graham because he's horrible on so many issues. But then what do we get? Can we afford to lose the Senate to punish Lindsey Graham? So I see we're kind of powerless anyway. Mike, you wanted to say something? Uh, you know, look, I think there's times to punish Republicans. I don't see that as right now being one of those times at all, considering what we're facing from the left. So... Uh, no, I, I, I wouldn't agree with that. The problem is, I agree with you, and Lindsey Graham knows that he can do absolutely nothing, just like Governor Sununu knows in New Hampshire. He can lock down an entire population, and he knows that Tuesday they all have to back him because he's good on other things. 
So again, how do we put pressure on politicians when they know darn well we're stuck with them? Well, look, those are what primaries are for. <laughs> Can I tell you? Okay, so Mike, I'm yeah. glad you brought up the period. So many years ago, I guess about six years, maybe even 10 years ago, I finally realized based on lots and lots of knowledge, primaries are meaningless. I believe the person who's going to be the next president in the United States has already been decided, or at least the who's going to be the um, nominee, has been decided in somebody's living room. They decide who's going to run in the primaries. They decide who they're going to back. So I was the nominee five years ago. I said it, I said it years ago. Yeah, Biden prim was the primaries are not nearly as free as I would love to believe they are. If you don't have the backing of a party, and you have to earn that backing of the party by selling your soul 50 ways from Sunday. So I don't think the primaries help. I really don't. Let me just interject there. I, I disagree with you. And let me, let me offer some personal experience involving Lindsey Graham. I actually participated in the 2014 primary field that challenged Lindsey Graham. And I also participated in an effort from, with friends in South Carolina to try and close the primary. South Carolina has an open primary That's that right. allows Democrats to vote in a Republican primary. And the Republicans at that time controlled both the Senate, both, both, both houses of the legislature and the governorship. They could have passed whatever legislation they wanted to close the, the, the primary, they chose not to. They had a lawsuit that was brought by both the Greenville County Republican Party and the New, uh, South Carolina Republican Party and they, they had a bunch of maneuvering and the South Carolina Republican Party actually settled their part of the lawsuit. And they thought they were being cute. And what happened was when they settled, the Greenville, part, the Greenville County Party no longer had standing and the case was dismissed. And the bottom line is the Republican Party in, in South Carolina does not want to close the primary. It's the Republican Party's fault. It is not, it is not the voters' fault. It is the Republican Party that wants the Democrats to have a say in Republican Party politics and to be a check on how conservative the Republican nominee in South Carolina can be. Right. So voters need to work hard and become delegates at the convention and take over the South Carolina GOP. That's Hold what on, they Ed, have to Ed, do. You said you were going to argue with me. I see you kind of agreeing with me. What happens in the primaries is not determined by just one of us wonderful people wanting to run in the primaries and get our message out. It's determined by the party bosses. Um, it's certainly like that here in New York. You gotta work your way up and you gotta get the backing of certain people. You'll never get near anywhere near any kind of ballot. That's all I'm saying. So unfortunately, I don't think primaries help. I really believe the decisions are made way, way, way before the primaries, who's gonna get to run. Cause it's just too expensive, takes too much energy, et cetera, to run. Except for a place like New Hampshire where you can run on, a, you know, on a thousand votes, two thousand votes to get into Congress, but as far as like the presidential, and in South Carolina, it, it may not be just the South Carolina GOP and other party elites who are determining the primary winners. Federal money is also involved from the Senate Campaign Committee um, to to elect Senate Republicans. Maybe Trump, if he likes Lindsey Graham, he used to hate him. I think he likes him now. But with Trump endorses someone, or federal um, NRCC, or Senate Committee, or something else, or big packs, or McConnell's pack money comes in from DC. And again, the ultimate, the only solution that makes any sense is secession. And one more great thing about state independence is there's going to be no connection between DC and your state. So every state will have truly more sovereignty and independence in this political process as well. In addition to all of the other benefits of state independence. 
Ed, I'm glad you spoke about South Carolina because that open primary thing drives some of us ignorant people absolutely batty. How in the world they put up with that down there? It's ridiculous. And that's a pretty important state because it often sort of changes the momentum down there, what happens. And we, we absolutely can't make any sense out of that. Joe, do you want to say something? No, I'm oh. sorry. No, I'm good. I'm listening. Not a problem. Okay. Are we finished ranting? Should we take a 30 second break and uh, thank God for Amy Coney Barrett? Woo! <laughs> ACB. <laughs> Amen. Okay. That was a trigger. You're not supposed well, to be initial. The, the question is does this election find its way to the Supreme Court in 2000? That, that's, uh, that, that to me would be interesting. Well, they're calling for her to recuse herself. So, <laughs> oh, they're already calling to impeach her. Yeah. I don't see any way in the world that this many, many aspects of this don't, doesn't go to the Supreme Court. I think this is going to make Bush v. Gore look like a child's play unless Trump sweeps 49 states, which I'm not ruling out. But I don't see how it doesn't go to court. Uh, I'm expecting full on chaos all the way down the line. And any close election from president all the way down, I think you're going to see chaos. I think it'll be extra messy because of the vote in. But go ahead, Ed. Here's what I think. I, I'm looking out there and the key fact that I see is that Biden is not campaigning. And if he if he thought that they were winning, he'd be out there trying to run the score up. I think they know they're going to lose. And I think what's going on is they're trying to lose by as big a margin as they can. And they're trying to inflate these pre-election polls and make it look like Biden has a big lead and then have Trump win a big victory. And they're, they're going to claim that it was fraud. I think that's the game plan right now. I don't think they're going to try and litigate this case the way Gore, uh, Gore tried to litigate Florida. I don't think they're looking at this as a close election. I think their whole strategy is going to be that this is fraud and they're going to claim that Trump is the one committing fraud. And how, gonna, how would they claim he's committing fraud? By stealing mailboxes? Come on. By saying that the polls showed Biden with an 11 or 15 so point what? lead and that he's going to and that Trump is going to win by 10 or 11 points. And they're going to say there's no way Trump could have done that unless he rigged the process. Listen, we know 2016 was the trial run for that because they said, how could she possibly have lost when all the polls said? I, I totally agree with you on that, that they're going to allege fraud. Um, but I think they're going to do it also with found absentee ballots, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think I with think, all the mail-in crap, I mean, they can they can manufacture a few million votes in every state. I think they have infrastructure in all 50 states to make- I think they have that yeah. infrastructure, but I think the difference between 2020 and 2016 is the infrastructure for riots and violence is now in place. You didn't have that in place in 2016. Good point. Well, excuse me, excuse me. Censorship, you mean peaceful demonstrations. Mostly peaceful, Ed. Yes, mostly. <laughs> you know, we don't want to get the Twitter. I think that's the, the big difference. And I think that the lid coming off in Philadelphia and, and New York this week is sort of a, uh, a, a, I don't want to say a trial run, but I just think, I think that they're, they're itching for violence. The, if you've noticed, the violence has not been in the news for the last, I don't know, month or six weeks. Yeah. And I think that they've had a lid on it. And I think that they're just waiting for November 3rd, November 4th, for that lid to explode. And I think that the trigger for that lid to explode is going to be a Trump route. What's I think their end game? For, to what end? Revolution. 
Violent revolution. Yeah, straight up Marxist stuff. Yeah. Well, one thing is for sure, unless Biden wins clearly on Tuesday, there's going to be explosions in the cities. That I don't doubt at all. Um, and then the press will push also that, you know, for the sake of peace in the country, Trump should do what Nixon did in 1960 and capitulate and move over. No, it's even worse than that, Steve, because if you look at this, you know, going back to our first discussion, our first story about the social media companies, they've all said that they're not going to allow mm -hmm. any information about who won, who lost, who, you know, any concession speech or victory speech. They're not going to allow us. So they're not going to allow any information about that. The only information available that's going to be available is from the thugs in the street. I think, I think that's, what's coming. Um, if, if, if the end game isn't violent revolution, the, the uh, fallback position is just delegitimize the second Trump administration from day one and claim that it was just based on rampant fraud, the kind of fraud that all, all of us on this call believe the Democrats are looking to engage in. I think they're just going to project that out and say that Trump is the one who's doing it. And they're just going to try and they're going to walk out of committees the way they walked out of the Amy Comey Barrett Judiciary Committee vote to, to have her sent to the full Senate. Uh, I think that it's going to be violence, but if it's not violence, it's going to be delegitimize Trump, accuse him of, of massive fraud and um, and try and delegitimize the next four years. I totally agree with the word delegitimize. I think you're 100 percent banged on. Um, I think if Trump wins again right away on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, all the mainstream media will say fraud and, you know, he's evil. He's really like like Hitler, meaning he's not eligible to be president. This was all Russian helping him. Putin helped him even more again because Putin helped him win in 2016 and, and all that stuff. And they'll delegitimize it and make kind of like Venezuela, where half of the country recognizes Guaico and half recognizes Maduro as president. We might have something like that, which is essentially um, analogous to, to a civil war, maybe, if you have two different factions, half and half recognizing one president as the rightful leader and the other half of the people recognizing the other. And that can make things very interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I think delegitimizing, it, that is the word, because I think that's what they've been trying to do for the last four years. And and with all the stories of how Trump, someone else has told me today that Trump is, is a German. I'm like, that's news to me. Trump is German. So they delegitimize him in so many ways. I think that, I think that's totally correct. Yeah, somebody pointed out today, um, one of the podcasts that I listened to, that last night, was last night or the night before, we had a racist president bring a black judge to swear in a woman to the Supreme Court, and he's considered a racist and a sexist. And it's really unbelievable how they can do that. And if this would have been on the other side of the fence, this would be the greatest promotion of feminist values, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So again, like Jody said, not only do they not report it, then they twist it. How can this man possibly be a racist, sexist, whatever else? You know, there's a lot of gay groups that are coming out very strongly pro-Trump, yet they still insist, but he's a homophobe and he's a thatophobe and thatophobe. So it's really unbelievable. Well, you know, uh, when you can't win the argument on sub substance, you name call and you silence. And one of the easy ways to silence people, right, is to name call them and have them be afraid of those names. And that might be a little bit of what's behind, I'm, I'm not trying to protect Republicans, I'm just saying there might be a little bit of that behind their 
lackluster um, willingness to take all of this on is what happens to them. It's pretty extreme. Um, you got to get over it. I'm not saying you don't, but I'm just saying it's powerful stuff. When you're dealing with um, mob tyranny, it's not a small thing. Okay, I can't disagree with that. Well, they've been using those tactics forever. I mean, Trump is just- They're really good at it. The lightning rod for it. Yeah, well, it would intimidate and silence us. I mean, heck, I, I've gotten it on, on online when it comes to sports, you know, and, and why I've boycotted the NFL and things like that. The first thing you get accused of is being a racist. Mm-hmm. Well, let me say something. Let me say this. <laughs> I think that our side needs to be prepared and learn how to use the word pedophile as much as they use racist. And there's a hell of a lot more evidence that there are pedophiles from top to bottom in the Democrat party. And if they're going to use those kinds of intimidation words, once again, we need to be able to put them on their Mm -hmm. heels. We need to learn how to put them on the defensive and stop always being on the defensive ourselves. And that's not even a slam or a slur term. There is plenty of evidence, including on Hunter Biden's laptop that Joe Biden apparently knows about, that pedophilia is rampant within the highest levels of the Democrat Party. So let them answer for that. They want to call us racists without basis. We should we should be prepared to call them pedophiles. And we have a lot of basis for it. Speaking of Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and what's on his laptop and Joe Biden, obviously, we've seen um, tons and tons of videos and pictures of of how he handles uh, children, which is disturbing. Um, Speaking of Hunter Biden's laptop, I just saw something come across my computer about uh, the headline is a former NYPD police commissioner says that he saw some of the uh, images on Hunter Biden's laptop and he uh, Hunter Biden, quote, belongs in handcuffs. Is that Carrick? Is that Bernie Carrick? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, Bernie Carrick also did time, I believe. Yeah, he did. His Before. credibility is a little bit weak. Um, and he's Giuliani's, uh, what do you call it, sidekick? Um, did anybody see that whole Borat Giuliani thing? And anybody have any opinion on it? I have plenty of things to say about it. I, I don't know much about it, but I heard that Giuliani was inside the pants of a 15-year-old girl. Again, media no, no, but anything- he was. But something happened. Media can spin anything. Apparently, he was a 24-year-old actress prostitute in a Borat movie, where Borat, we all know the movies, Borat 1, Borat 2. And also, he does other videos where he tried coming on to Ron Paul. He does videos, gotcha videos. He's done this with uh, about gun groups and, and uh, guns for children and gun safety videos, where he tries to convince people and make them look bad when they're not suspecting it. Um, Wait, and he's well, successful well, well. sometimes because he's I really actor. hate to take the other side, but anybody here of James O'Keefe? I mean, that is is legitimate journalism. So, and if Giuliani, the the video of Giuliani needs a wee bit of explanation, especially given Giuliani's history. Yeah, I didn't see the video. And and again, I I don't know anything about his character. I assume his character is probably pretty bad knowing who Giuliani is. He's been in politics for 50 years. Um, All I'm saying is that I saw headlines. He's now a Russian asset. What's that? Giuliani, he's now a Russian asset. Yeah, yeah. Giuliani is with a 15-year-old girl um, trying to get in her pants. Again, they should be honest. It was a 24-year-old woman who was a prostitute, not Borat's 15-year-old daughter. That was in the movie. It was his 15-year-old daughter. She's a 24-year-old actress prostitute. Be honest. So if he was with a prostitute, that's illegal. If he thought she was 15, that's certainly not ethical. But the headlines saying Giuliani is, you know, hooking up with a 15-year-old girl, it's just, it's not correct and it's not factual. getting, Getting back to media and doublespeak, um, mm-hmm. If you remember the Roman Polanski business, that was when they coined the new word, it's not rape-rape. So it won't be P 
pedophilia, pedophilia, <laughs> whatever exactly that means. You know, and speaking of doublespeak, yeah. somebody made the comment, everybody heard Schumer in one of his mad rants saying that generations unborn will suffer because of Amy Coney Barrett. And they said, if that's not doublespeak, wow. and there's never yeah. been doublespeak in history because the only person thinking of protecting unborn is Amy Coney Barrett. And how those words came out of his mouth, again, it's just, we're, we're totally opposite what we're hearing now. And we don't even get it. When I first heard him say that, I said, unborn, she's threatening the unborn. That just, but again, do you think even Amy Coney Barrett, who seems great, or Gorsuch or Kavanaugh, who seem to have some backbone, do you think any of them have the backbone to even address Roe v. Wade? I don't think so. I don't think a single one of them on the court besides maybe um, Thomas, maybe. I don't know. I could see it. they may address it, but it wouldn't matter. It doesn't change the law. All of the, at the absolute best, all that does is send it back to the states. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, even well, so, I, even so, I think you still don't have the, because people don't understand that it just, it gives states the powers to do it. Um, I think still because of what the media would do to them, if they overturned Roe v. Wade tomorrow or, or anytime, the media would destroy them and they would ruin the lives of all five justices that vote uh, to reverse it and send it back to the states where California can keep aborting all their babies. Um, so, but yeah, I still don't think they have the guts to do it. It gives the people the opportunity to have to say about what they want. And that's mm -hmm. why I just really laugh every time I, I hear allow that. the left left preaching to us about democracy and then complaining about the court if they really believed in democracy and then you know people being able to to, to vote on, on policy have their representatives vote on policy they they would want the court to be to have restraint but of course they really don't excellent point that should be a liberty block article if you don't want judges deciding abortion if you want state legislatures which are elected by people yay democracy then you should totally support Roe v. Wade being reversed so state legislatures can decide again. That's an article. No, there were any state legislatures still in session because haven't we turned over all of the rules to governors with COVID? That makes it even easier. It's just an executive order. The People's Republic of New Jersey, yes. Well, I, well I, we in almost every state, isn't that what happened is we're living by Governor Fiat right now? Has any, I don't know. Has Not when it comes actually... to blame for COVID though. Blame for COVID is only on Trump. Actual actions and what they do for COVID has been statewide. I have state a question. Right? In the historical ranking of presidents, Reagan created AIDS and Trump created COVID. Which one of them is number one? Well, COVID is the most dangerous thing in history of existence for anyone in every sense because <laughs> it's killed everyone. No, you weren't, you weren't alive during AIDS and people really did believe that Reagan created AIDS. I heard that with my own ears. Working on a detox unit, Reagan. Did, did they say he created AIDS to kill all the black people that Martin kill all the black didn't people. kill yet? There, there were people who really did believe that. And there yeah. are people in the press who were saying Trump wanted to kill. There was somebody, I just saw an article today, Trump wants to kill all these people. And I'm thinking, <laughs> unbelievable. Anyway, anybody else want to keep ranting? Wait, I want to say one more thing. Uh, similar in the um, topic, but did anybody see that New York Times report um, about free speech being dangerous to democracy? Is this a new one or? I, yeah, it was I early October, I want to say. I heard something about it. Yeah, I and did I hear think, something about I it. I think it, there's, it's not the first time the New York Times is starting to culturally desensitize people to free speech and say that it's bad. How many public school educated kids know that one of those two things is in the Bill of Rights and one is not? Democracy and free speech. One of them is in the Bill of Rights. 
Now you're 100% right, Jody, and it goes back to the whole culture and politics there, definitely, because they say we need the European model of free speech where everything is just so much more wonderful. I gotta tell you, I've always said Israel is one of the freest countries in the world, but they don't have the right of free speech. And there are people who get prosecuted and even jailed for quote, insulting a public servant. It's and crazy. thank God we have that. Now, I don't know, I wasn't necessarily gonna bring it up, but there's a school, was it Indiana? In one county where a teacher assigned as extra credit assignment to listen to like five minutes of an alternate opinion, a conservative opinion, and then write up an assignment about, do you agree and do you disagree and did it change your mind? And horrors of horrors, they were asking people to listen to one of the worst racist bigots in the history of this country, not David Duke, but Dennis Prager. Yeah. And because of that, they went nuts and they had to pull the assignment. Never mind that Dennis Prager, a tremendous amount of the people on the staff of Prager U are minorities and women, et cetera. And Dennis Prager, as far as I'm concerned, is pretty mainstream. Moderate. He's quite moderate, unbelievably level-headed and balanced. And yet they, they blew a gut about that. So yeah, they're not getting any story at all. And if you raise people from first grade through 12th grade, forget first grade, pre-K, universal pre-K, and then through college, yeah, they've already, no wonder they don't agree with us. That's what I said. I mean, years ago, I believed we were an evolved, intellectually evolved society, and we really just are not. This is not well, how an evolved society would operate and function. Well, you know, we've talked about this in, in, in some prior shows. You know, COVID offers us some opportunities, and not that disease offers us opportunities, but, you know, the schools are closed and there's a big move to reopen the schools. Trump in the last debate talked about the need to reopen the schools, but maybe we don't need to reopen the schools. Maybe this is a time that we should talk about homeschooling. Maybe this is a time we should talk about privatizing the schools and having different alternatives for schooling. Um, you know, we talk about the culture war, you know, conservatives complain about losing the culture war after having turned their kids over to the, to the enemy for the first 18 years of their lives. It's no wonder we have problems winning the culture war. We need, to, we need to get our kids out of those government schools, out of those leftist controlled schools to be more exact. I mean, it's not that it's government, it's that the leftists have taken over those schools and there are opportunities. I mean, on a cultural level, you know, we can talk about homeschooling more now. We can talk about different alternatives to education. And I understand that we need to open, that Trump wants to open the schools because it goes together with opening the economy and you can't really have people going back to work if their children are not, be, in, not in school. Um, you know, some of us on this panel have children and we know firsthand that if the kids are home, it's really hard to have the parents going to work. But at the same time, I mean, you know, tax policy currently reflects, you know, that you pay property taxes at the local level to pay for these schools. Well, why should we be paying property taxes for schools that aren't open? You know, I mean, this is an opportunity for us to have a, a, a deep and, and thorough conversation about tax policy and education policy and, and culture. And, you know, sometimes you get, you know, we got the lemon that was 
COVID, but we can make it into lemonade and maybe we can use it to break the hold of the teachers unions, break the hold that leftists have over the schools and, and rescue our children from this brainwashing that's going on. And, but once again, that's going to work its way up through the courts, like the vouchers issues. No, it doesn't have to work its way through the courts. I mean, yeah, I mean, because it can work its way through the, through the political process and we can have our elected representatives change policy. On a state level, it would be nice. I, again, I know some states are a lot more easygoing about it than others. I don't see some of the uh, more dictatorial states like New York and New Jersey going there too fast. But yeah, these things end up in the courts because um, especially the New Hampshire um, constitution, it actually says that the, the government has to provide education for the kids. So I think someone sued last time, I believe in New Hampshire, when um, a voucher or ESA bill began to make its way through the, What's the, the house. ESA? Uh, education savings account, like a voucher, maybe. Um, so if you propose these bills, they'll sue you and say constitutionally, the, the government has to provide taxpayer funded education for every student. And if you want money out of the system with vouchers, then they, they will sue it. So I do think all of these bills in every state will go to the courts, where again, leftist judges can decide against educational freedom. Uh, a few more points is uh, Corey DeAngelis, who's a great pro uh, school choice, school freedom activist, with I think our reason or Cato, he just posted an image of the 2019 results for uh, 12th grade student achievement in the US in public schools came out and the reading proficiency is 37%. So in 12th grade, these kids are going to college and 37% are proficient in reading according to the US student achievement tests and 24% are proficient in math. 37% and 24% for reading and math. Um, with the trillions we spend and we spend probably trillions more every year because we have to increase the budget, um, it's clearly not working. So there's Wait, that, but Jody, also- Jody, you still think we're an evolved society? No, I think we're not. That's what scares me. No, but I think Elliot's exactly right. And it's 24%, what, you know, yeah. look, if, if public education is a right and you know it's written into our laws, that's all fine. But somebody needs to start making the argument that what these students are getting is not education. So yes, we demand education, but education, if it's a real education, it's going to have children learn how to think, not what to think. And if it's a real education, these, you know, especially inner cities, these schools wouldn't be failing these children. So it seems like any argument that says, you know, it's the government's job to educate the people. Yeah, you're right. And you're failing to do it. So we need to actually make it be education. Well, going back to what we've said before, they've changed the word education to what it means. And now it's a really uphill battle to take the word education back. Education used to mean horrible, cruel things like memorizing multiplication tables, which I think is pretty much illegal today. I just want to say one quick thing to what Jody just said. Yes, we need to say that, you know, the argument needs to be made that this isn't education. But when I hear the argument needs to be made, you need to emphasize or you need to you need to say are you talking about a lawsuit and make the argument to a judge or are you talking about making it in the political arena? Because I don't think judges should be deciding whether it's education or whether it's not. We shouldn't be empowering judges more. We should be empowering them less. That's a political decision. It shouldn't be something that's a subject of a lawsuit. It's something that needs to be done in the political arena and whether it's through ballot initiative and changing and amending the constitution or just changing you know, the way the legislature uh, interprets education, 
Uh, it should be done through the political process, not through the courts. And I think it would be nice if you're correct, but I don't think you are historically. When you look at the sex education battles in various states and the parents saying, but we don't want our kids doing it and the opt-ins and the opt-outs, and somehow it's always going to go to the courts. I don't know how you keep anything out of the courts. Well, we have, you know, we have to make that argument and we and our legislators need to not leave a vacuum for the judges to, to fill. Right now, the problem is that the legislatures don't act. And, and they the have very little incentive to act, actually. What? They don't have much incentive to act. We're going to vote 99% in the back end no matter what. The incentive so. is they're supposed to be leaders. Your job is to be a leader. Your job is supposed to look at policies and, and filter them through your reason and, and be uh, you know, the wise man of the community to, to try and enact good policy. And if you aren't willing to do that, then you should just not run for office. Well, I think we, we, know it, we know it all too well here in New Jersey because we've had the Abbott decisions with respect to school funding. And I, I believe uh, if you go back and look, look at those cases, the legislature isn't even a defendant in the case, but the, the court handed down the decision. And, um, you know, obviously that's caused it. Uh, spending on schools in, in New Jersey, the skyrocket through the roof. We have those 31 former Abbott districts. We have districts like Asbury Park getting 25 or $30,000 per student and half the kids still fail out. Crazy. Uh, but, but it's crazy. <laughs> totally crazy. You wouldn't believe it. I used to do a presentation on all this stuff. But, you know, it, really, there's nothing stopping our representatives in the legislature from passing a constitutional amendment or reaffirming the, what's there and putting a stop to it all. But there's they don't have the backbone. They pass the buck. It's easier. No They're not accountable. They don't have a backbone to stand up to judges. The Republicans, too. It's not just the left and the teachers union. I mean, as you know, the people on the right, we go back to this from what we said before. Republicans don't fight. I mean, we don't know that all too well in New Jersey. No, Republicans definitely don't fight. And most Republicans, I think, in New Jersey, New York are pretty much rhinos anyway, in my opinion. And maybe, I don't know if you have any really good Republicans in New Jersey. One or two. One or two. And I think we probably have one or two in New York. And when somebody runs here as a Republican in a local city council state, to me, most of them are just super rhinos anyway, and it's not worth the effort. All right, so, I'm going to give everybody some final words before the big election, which yeah. is going to end we, hopefully uh, near the end of December. Do we have any predictions for uh, next Tuesday? Well, what do you think, Mike? I think, I think Trump's going to pull it out. I mean... I, I've waffled back and forth. I think, you know, there are so many forces aligned against him. You know, I'm, I'm worried about the left lawyer, lawyering up and voter fraud and a lot of things, but I just feel like I sit back and I don't see Biden out there like you were saying. I, I don't see any enthusiasm behind him at all. And I just, I, I think Trump will pull it out, but I don't know that we'll know on Tuesday night. Remember, Hillary didn't concede that first night. Well, she's totally, no, not to concede. Right. right. So is there any scenario in which Trump would be reelected Tuesday night? I don't see one. Well, I've already told you what I think is going to happen. I think it's going to be a gigantic landslide. And I think the Democrats aren't telling anybody this, but I think they're trying to increase the amount of victory that Trump has, because the bigger Trump's victory, the more plausible their claims of fraud are going to sound. And I think that I think that it is likely that Trump is gonna just declare victory. And I think, 
you know, when I play that, the scenario that I've pr presented, when I play it out in my mind, I'm reminded of the 2016 primary process. I worked on the cruise campaign and we on the cruise campaign were dying for it to become a one-on-one -on -one race. And we thought that as soon as it became a one-on-one -on -one race, Cruz would destroy him in the debates. And as soon as Rubio and Kasich dropped out, Trump declared himself the winner and said there would be no more debates. And I sort of think that's what's gonna happen on Tuesday night. And I think that the social media companies know that and that's why they've put out word that they're not gonna allow that to be disseminated on their platforms. Uh, but I think that's what's gonna happen. I think that Trump is gonna win a very large victory. I think Biden's refusal to, to campaign signals to me, it's a tell that he's not even trying to, to win. He's not trying to get the votes. And if, in fact, I think that they want to lose by more because it makes it look like fraud. It, it makes their claim of fraud sound more plausible. If Trump ekes out a victory, then it's harder for them to make the argument that it's fraud. If Trump suddenly comes out with a 55 or 57 percent of the vote when he was only polling in the low 40s going into the vote, they're going to say, aha, this is fraud. He, none of the polls saw this. He's, you know, he's the one who's in charge. He's, he's committing fraud here. And I think that's the game plan. What they're going to do with that game plan, I'm, you know, I think it's going to be violence, but um, at a minimum, it's going to be delegitimization of Trump. The two big factors that I'm looking at, I totally agree, Ed. The big factors I'm looking at is, number one, the reason that Trump won the primary and the general in 2016 with, again, remember, over 300 electoral votes, which is a big victory, I think was the concept of pushback against the increasingly radical leftists who are hateful and want Republicans to literally be killed. Um, and it was the silent majority, wait, you know, finally standing up for the first time in decades or centuries or their lifetimes for someone who, who was uh, brash and tough and stood up and told like it is, wasn't afraid to say, we need to clamp down on immigration, get tough on China and so many more issues. Um, and that's what did it. So I think the silent majority is now bigger and stronger than ever. Many people who voted for Trump are now even more enthusiastically voting for him. And many who did not vote for Trump and voted against him, like some of us here are now going to vote for him. Um, I think there's that. I think the other big factor is that the Biden rallies literally get five, 10, 15 people. The Trump rallies get 10, 15,000 or more people. So if, if one president can't get one 15 people out there and one is filling up stadiums with hundreds of thousands of, in capacity before COVID, when he went to college stadiums that had 100,000 seats, I think he overflowed them. Um, so I think just that alone, if you can get thousands more people, thousands times the amount of people multiplied by a thousandfold of your opponent, I think that means you won. They um, so have I, more I Trump people at Biden rallies than Biden people, which is kind of interesting. Mike, you wanted to say something? Oh, okay. Jody? I'm good. I just wanted to close. I don't know what's going to happen, and I'm quite frankly terrified, but we'll wait and we'll see, right? But less than a week out, I just wanted to put in this plug, you know, make sure you're voting based on some factual information. Go to my Facebook page, because I today went through the, if you're voting on the economy, know this. If you're, if you're voting on unemployment, know this. If you're voting on COVID, know this at least know why you're voting what you're voting on and share it. Feel free to share the information. I have to second that because Jody has been a fount of absolute factual information that, that's amazing. So I was so lucky to have her on our show. So now I'm terrified of waking up Wednesday morning to find out that it's 2024 and Trump has been elected for his third term. <laughs> you guys all seen that ad? 
No, I haven't seen that. The ad. Lincoln Project put out the ad. It's all over. Just Google it. Lord. That anti-Trump Lincoln Project put out an ad of a mother waking up her kid or the kid waking up the mother and saying that he was elected to a third term. And apparently it's backfiring on them in a really big way. I hope so. But uh, yeah. TV. That's actually going to be Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> Gay! <laughs> oh, I know. Unfortunately, the people calling for Ivanka, please just let's get far away from New York liberals. Anyway, I guess we'll wrap up for today. I think this was another excellent and very, very fun show and glad to have everybody along. Um, it's under discussion if there's going to be an immediate post-election podcast on Tuesday night, so stay tuned, but we will be back here either way on Wednesday, hopefully with some knowledge of what actually happened. So I want to wish everybody- uh, I, I look forward to the, uh, you know, the fact checkers, you know, posting up over this on Facebook soon. Oh yeah, <laughs> everything we said, Paul. Yeah, listen. Thanks don't, for joining, don't Mike. Out the show. Thanks, thanks for having. We'll be we'll be locked down, and uh, we'll be up on Sound SoundCloud and iTunes and wherever you find your podcast within an hour or so. And again, if you're listening to this as a podcast, you're very welcome to join us live and contribute your opinions and arguments. Have a wonderful week. <laughs>